Canucks fans, and welcome into episode 116 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, I gotta, I gotta admit, I think you might be carrying the first bit of this here. I, I know you just had to run out before we started recording here to help bring in an air conditioner uh, just in time for fall. And I was like, oh, I'm just gonna have a quick snack here. And I just grabbed some crackers and this hot sauce that I get at the markets. And uh, as usual, even though I know how spicy this stuff is, Put on way too much hot sauce. My mouth is on fire right now, but I'm gonna try and troop through it. So uh, I'd appreciate you saying something. No worries, man. This might be a good po- a chance for you to crack a beer as well. That should cool the the heat from the from the hot sauce on the crackers. What kind of hot sauce is it? It's this uh, stuff from the, this Indonesian family called Bali Bites that I always see at the uh, farmers markets, and they just make the most amazing hot sauce. It's like a sambil hot sauce. But anyways, I was just like, I just had crackers and I don't have any dip or anything. I'm like, oh, I'll just put some of this hot sauce in there. And bit of a mistake. My mouth is sweating. Nice. I'm, yeah. I mean, look, I love hot sauce and I, I do like crackers, but I've never thought of dipping Ritz crackers <laughs> in straight up hot sauce. That seems a little odd to uh, me, but hey, man. I mean. Uh, Whatever floats your boat, dude. <laughs> Let me tell you, I, I got to go grocery shopping, man. Um, Doug, how's, how's things going? Oh, pretty good, man. Uh, yeah, like you said, you know, I'm living that bougie life, uh, making sure uh, get it, we get an air conditioner before uh, they all get sold out across the city again. So, uh, yeah, after we're done recording, I'm going to be setting up that air conditioner in my room. And, yeah, looking forward to uh, not sweating while I try to sleep at night. That's a, that's a pretty good plan, man. I'm sure your fiance is looking forward to that, too. Um, hey, Doug, we got a we got a lot to talk about uh, as usual this week. This off season has been busy. The season's over. We're gonna get all into that very shortly. But just a couple of things to take care of before we get into a whole lot of hockey talk. Uh, let's start with the outro song from last week. Uh, what did you use? You were editing it, so. Take it away. Yeah, so I used the instrumental version for both the actual outro in the episode and the actual playlist of Aesop Rock's Fumes. Aesop Rock is a legendary kind of underground hip-hop artist. Very, very wordy. His vocabulary is incredible. Um, And he did some work back in the early 2000s with LP of... Uh, LP obviously has a great solo career, but he's probably best known by most people today uh, as the other half of Run the Jewels. Um, but yeah, it was Aesop Rock. Uh, Fumes is the name of the song, and I used the instrumental version both on the episode and on the playlist. And yeah, I just figured let's get some Aesop Rock in the playlist. I'm pretty sure I saw LP play with Killer Mike one time uh, as well. I'm pretty sure they were on stage together. Well, th- th- that is Run the Jewels. Is that Run the Jewels? Yeah. Okay, so it shows, shows you what I know. Okay, but at the time, it was Killer Mike with LP. It wasn't Run the Jewels. Uh, that was at Sasquatch back like 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I know Killer Mike, I actually bought this vinyl. It was the 10-year anniversary of his rap music album. Uh, it's a cool limited pressing came out. They put it on like this neon kind of mutant green vinyl. I picked it up at... Um, at Red Cat and um, LP did all the produ- production on that album, so it was pretty cool. Yeah, cool, cool. I have tickets to see Run the Jewels uh, eventually. Apparently, if uh, uh, if they ever do come to town with Rage Against the Machine, hey, did you see that on the the radio today? Just the continuous playing of Killing in the Name. Yeah, I thought that was on awesome. One hundred four point nine. Yeah, Kiss <laughs> yeah, FM. I, I, I don't know if someone got fired or if that was just a stunt or whatever. Well, I but think, it was pretty I fun. think Bell laid off a whole bunch of people again like what happened with uh 1040 um yeah so i think yeah whoever was in the control panel was kind of a big f you to you know the the suits and the board and was like screw you guys we're going out like this and i think it was on four hours straight in a row uh, it's uh, it was going even longer i think i tuned in a couple times i turned in one time a guy was like asking for a request he's like yeah i think i can find that and they just went into the song again <laughs> so i don't know if it's a publicity stunt or whatever but uh that shit was uh was was pretty funny um before we uh get into it doug we got a we actually got an event coming up we're, we're doing a little something for the nhl draft 
And uh, we're starting to put together a little bit of a list of people. We've got a pretty good crew coming out, but we do have space available. Uh, Doug, do you want to tell the folks a little bit about the Canucks Speakeasy official NHL draft party? Yeah, so, you know, we're putting together a little kind of meetup slash draft party at the American on Main. It's Thursday, the 7th of July. Uh, so, obviously, you know, the American is a great spot. We've done a couple of meetups there, at least one prior to this. Uh, I think it was actually the Pittsburgh game that ended up being the Armageddon game where Green got it fired was. and eventually uh, Benning and company got fired. And we had a little meetup before that game. So, yeah, we're going back to the American on the 7th to watch the draft. Uh, we, you contacted whoever it was in charge of reservations, Pete, and they said they would give us the back room and they'll put the sound on for us, which is great because I know last year you actually were camping, but I met up with a couple of people, uh, Juggy, Leaf, Jabbo, uh, Darcy or Dagger, as most people know him online on the old Twitter sphere there, and we watched the draft at the Shark Club, but it was 4 p.m. on a Friday, I think it was, and Andy, Andy was there as well. And they didn't put the sound on for us. And we were like, dude, there's like, we're the biggest table in the, you know, in the room at the moment. And they wouldn't even put the sound on. They were just playing like really bad, like, you know, Caribbean music. Like, you know, that like pop, really bad, like Afro beat or uh, Caribbean, you know, dance hall music. It was just like really bad. And we're like, this is terrible. We still watched it begrudgingly. Um, so this year when we wanted to get people together again and do this for, you know, the second kind of annual speakeasy meet, obviously you're going to be there, Pete, which is awesome. Um, but we also wanted to make sure we got a venue that was promising to put the sound on for us and the American is obliged. So yeah, like Pete said, man, we'd love to have more people come. I think we've got about 12 people on the list right now and I think we can get as high as 15 or 20. So it'd be nice to fill up the last couple of spots. If you guys are interested, just give us a... a uh, DM on Twitter and yeah man we'll add you to the list and I was just looking for a place that did fried chicken and had good beer so it was kind of a win-win win for everybody I got my food I got my draft and we got my beer and we're gonna have some good buds and uh, it's gonna be a good time man I'm looking looking forward to it uh, we're getting there around 3 30 on the 7th and uh, we'll be there for the entire first round which should be eventful I think for Vancouver yeah, I mean, you know, obviously we'll get into it a bit later, but, you know, we're starting to see moves happen across the league. There was a pretty big trade that happened today. Uh, there was a trade during the Stanley Cup final that happened that seemed like to be more of a salary move than an actual trade. But still, you know, big names were moved in both the trades. And uh, yeah, as we get closer to the draft, it's going to be more and more intriguing. There was rumors today about Canuck players that may or may not have some interest around the league. Um, players that haven't been spoken about as much as a JT Miller or a Brock Besser or Connor Garland. And yeah, like Pete and I will get into all that later in the episode. But again... If you guys want to come watch the draft with us, it'd be awesome. We'd love to meet some fans. And hey, instead of arguing online, we can argue in real life. I mean, come on. Is, is that not a dream come true? That, that's what it's all about. Face-to-face -face arguing. Uh, that's always a good time. So if you do want to come, shoot us a DM either on our Twitter account, at Speak, or you can also find me on Twitter or shoot me a message at Pete underscore gas. Uh, you can also shoot me a DM and find me on Twitter at Doug Venn. And be sure to check out our, pod, our our Speakeasy outro playlist on Spotify. It's the Canuck Speakeasy outro playlist. Uh, another funky jam will be getting, getting added to the playlist at the end of this episode. First off, Doug, uh, I think we got to talk about the Colorado Avalanche. That's how the season ended. Colorado defeating Tampa for the Stanley Cup. Uh, Tampa Bay, three straight finals. Now Corey Perry, three straight finals with three different teams. Uh, Tampa Bay banged up. I saw their injury report that came out yesterday. It was it was like a couple pages long. Uh, Colorado was the better team. Uh, they went 16-4 and four in the postseason and uh, were fast as hell doing it. Uh, they looked to be a threat for a long time. Yeah, uh, look, obviously I think these were the two best teams. I know Tampa didn't finish first in the East, but I still think they're probably the best team in the East. And Colorado definitely was the best team in the West all season. Um, yeah, congratulations to the Colorado Avalanche and Joe Sackick and, you know, Nathan McKinnon, Kale McCarr and the rest of the Avalanche got, you know, crew 
Nazem Kadri. I mean, that was amazing to see Kadri, you know, especially his little uh, quip at the end there when he was getting uh, his post-game interview. I thought that was awesome. Good for him. And even some of these kind of older vets like Eric Johnson, for instance, you know, he's been in the league. I believe he was drafted by Colorado as well, or maybe. Yep. He, yeah, he was. Colorado oldest, or St. Louis member maybe. of the team. Okay. Uh, maybe it was St. Louis. Yeah, St. Louis. He's a first overall pick, though. I, I believe, do know he? that. So, yeah, like, I, I don't remember. But I know he's been in the league for years, and to see him finally win a cup yeah. is great. Uh, Jack Johnson, the much maligned Jack Johnson, who I know a lot of people are always, you know, talk crap about, you know, due to his contract and, you know, his play on the ice. But, you know, the guy's actually been through a lot. People forget that his family, his parents literally embezzled all his money early in his career. And he had to file for financial bankruptcy because all his money had been embezzled by his parents. So that's amazing to see him win a Stanley Cup. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was. I thought the series was closer than what it felt like. Even though I, I think it was that one game where Colorado won seven nothing, the game that you and I actually met up with a couple of friends to go uh, watch. And it ended up being a blowout after the first period. But I actually do think this final was a lot closer than it, it felt. Um, and I, I, I guess I blame game two for it feeling like kind of one, as one-sided as it was, but I do think Colorado was the better team. I also think they were the healthier team and yeah, man, I, I think we could be, you know, seeing a dynasty run here from Colorado moving forward. Uh, Eric Johnson was, uh, with the blues and he's been a member of the Avs since 2011. So the longest member of the Avs remember game three was also a blowout, uh, the other way it was, uh, it was never close that game. Tampa Bay was all over Colorado six, two, I believe was the final two games went to overtime. So there's a couple blowouts and then the rest of the games were close, but the overtimes, a couple bounces the other way, Tampa could be lifting the cup, uh, Colorado. I mean, now looking towards the future, uh, they definitely went all in on this year. They have one pick in the first four rounds this year, and that's a third round pick. They don't have a second or a fourth in 23. They don't have a second, a third or a fifth in 24. So they don't have a lot of picks. They've also got a lot of guys who are UFA, including Burkowski, Kaliano, Helm, Kadri, Nakushkin, Sturm, Jack Johnson, Josh Manson. So there's a lot of guys there. They got a couple of RFAs they got to deal with. And this is the last year of Nathan McKinnon's sweet deal as well. He is a UFA at the end of next season. I'm sure they'll find a way to keep him. But that's also something else they're going to have to watch. Well, I will say this. The one thing that Colorado definitely has in their favor is the deal they signed Makar to. Because can you imagine if they tried to sign Makar at the end of this year? Um, you know, what if they only, like, gave him, like, a one-year deal? They bridged him? You know what I mean? I mean, he would be cashing in. I mean, Makar, I think, is what? He's at $8 million, I believe? Is it? Am I nine. Nine. Still. Nine million. Yeah. And what a season Kale Makar had. I mean, he won the Norris yeah. Trophy. And, you know, we can get into the NHL awards, too. I don't think we talked about them last episode. Um, but he goes on to win the Norris Trophy, the Conn Smythe for most valuable player. Plus, we also need to change that name. I mean, Conn Smythe was a piece of shit. Um, he was a racist. Uh, so they should definitely change the name of that trophy. Um, that's a whole other topic. And then wins the Stanley Cup. So an absolutely incredible year for Kale McCarr. Uh, and the abs are extremely lucky to have him. And I think he's signed to an incredible value deal. I mean, 9 million in, you know, four or five years from now is going to look like an absolute bargain, especially when the salary cap goes up, which it is. There was record numbers of revenue for teams this year, apparently across the league. Um, so, you know, obviously I don't think the cap's going to go up much this year, if at all. But you know, that will slowly start to, you know, increase overall revenue and the cap. And this was also the first year of the ESPN deal. And that was great as well. And to see more coverage. I'm an avid PTI guy. I watch PTI. I, I DVR PTI every day. I watch PTI every single day. And to see them talk about the Stanley Cup, you know, it was great. I, I loved it. And they're obviously an ESPN show. And yeah, man, it was it was great to see. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll we'll dive into the awards a little bit. We got some uh, more pressing matters. And I got to say, the NHL awards kind of irk me uh, a little bit uh, as well for, for various reasons. But uh, uh, we will jump into that. Again, congrats to the Avs. Uh, that, it'll be interesting to see what they do from here. But that was a fun series. It's nice to have a, a fairly memorable 
playoffs uh, overall, I thought, this year. So congrats to the Avs. Uh, also, Hockey Hall of Fame class announced here in Vancouver. That's a big deal this year. Yeah, huge. And, you know, not that I ever had any doubts that the Sedins or Luanga were first ballot Hall of Famers, but I did have doubts, you know what I mean? Like, in my heart, I never thought, you know, and in my head, I never thought that they weren't Hall of Famers, but there was some doubt in my mind that they wouldn't maybe get in as a first ballot hall of famer um but they all three of them did this year which is incredible and i know i'm still a little salty that mcgillney still is not in but hey i mean this you know this is about the sedines and luongo and the breadth of their careers and I, i i definitely think you know having a guy like brian burke on the selection committee for the hall of fame really cemented the Sedins going in first ballot this year. Because I don't know if you know this, Pete, but Brian Burke drafted both Sedins. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Did he? Was it in the same year? Yeah, the same year. Same draft. He, he got both of them. Wow. Wow. I mean, <laughs> that's crazy. I, I had no idea. This is uh, that's that's pretty incredible. Um, speaking of, uh, it's a bit of a side note. Uh, I don't know if you've ever watched any of the Hey Berkey episodes that they got in Sportsnet, uh, little short five minute cartoons. But there is a great one about how he pulled that off at the draft. There's another great one about Pavel Bure uh, and bringing him in. Uh, they're really well done. I, I, I do recommend watching them. Yeah, uh, but congratulations, man, to both Henrik Daniel and Roberto Luongo. I mean, it's awesome. All three of them are absolutely deserving to be Hall of Famers. To go in together as well, I think that's really special. Uh, I think that says a lot. Um, yeah, man. Like, I, I think most Canuck fans were a little anxious as we were waiting for the announcement at noon. Uh, what was it? Tuesday, I believe, is when the announcement came down. I think at least I was a little anxious. Uh, I don't know what how you were like, Pete, but then I saw the news start trickling out. I think Farhan Lalji was the first person to kind of report that he had strong, you know, beliefs that both Sedins were getting in. Uh, which is awesome. And yeah, what what did you think of the news, Pete? And, you know, how stoked are you about all three of them getting in? Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't surprised with the Sedins. I thought they were going to be first ballots. I wasn't sure if Luongo was going to be a first ballot. Alfredson got in as well. I remember, and he's, it took him five tries, I believe, to, to get in. Um, I, I, I think it's awesome. I wasn't nervous or anything. I just, uh, I, I was looking forward to actually seeing it. As we know, the first lifelong Canucks to go into the hall. We've had other Canuck greats go into the hall over time, such as Cam Neely and Matt Sundin and Mark Messier. <laughs> Uh, Pavel Bure and Roberto Roberto Luongo now uh, Pavel Bure maybe Alex McGillney one day that's uh, but there's no denying that when you see those guys in the hall they are true Canucks uh, you know Luongo will be remembered for Vancouver but he'll probably be remembered more for Florida um, Sundin probably remembered more for Vancouver but some people might say Toronto <laughs> um, yeah so you know, it's. I think there's. I, I. I'm stoked for it. It's. It's great to see. I mean, as we know, those guys were class acts. Uh, apparently, they were drafted together as well. Uh, you're telling me uh, by Brian Burke. So, um, I think. Uh, I think it's great, man. I think they're great ambassadors for the game. Um, I do agree that McGillney should be in there. I mean, he almost had a thousand games. He averaged over a point a game for his career. Uh, Lady Bing, Stanley Cup. Uh, like, I just think he's. Uh, he should be in there. Yeah, and I know some people were saying, oh, you know, Broad Brindamore had more points than both Daniel and Henrik, and I think Broad Brindamore should be in the Hall of Fame, right? Like, I don't think that's... Just because they haven't put Rod Brindamore in it yet doesn't mean the Sedins are any less deserving. Uh, I agree. I, I think Rod Brindamore should be in the Hall of Fame. There's a few guys that are kind of on that cusp of just over 1,000 points. Daniel Alfredson, Henrik Zetterberg didn't get in this year, and I thought he would have been kind of a shoe-in. You know, a guy who's, I believe he won two Stanley Cups in Detroit. Um, so yeah, at least. And, and a couple, of, I think he had some Selkies as well. Uh, well, yeah, maybe he won one. I know Datsuk was winning a bunch as well in Detroit, but maybe they did go one year of Zetterberg, one year um, Zetter, or Datsuk. But yeah, I mean, it's a celebration, right? It's a celebration for the career they had. And you brought up a very good point. Uh, you know, they're career-long Canucks. And there actually isn't too many players this day and age that end up playing for one franchise their entire career and then also end up in the Hockey Hall of Fame. And both Daniel and Henrik are 
two of those players and it's amazing and it's great to see and it you know i mean obviously alfredson you know went and played in detroit for a little while and there's other guys i, I think zetterberg finished his whole career in detroit but still you know it's just it's nice to mm-hmm. see that they're they're ours you know what i mean like as much as most canuck fans consider pavel Bure ours he put up some incredible numbers in florida and some incredible numbers in new york for the rangers but daniel and henrik were and have always been ours through and through and now they're both in the hockey hall of fame and i couldn't be prouder for either one of them i couldn't be prouder being a canuck fan and then roberto as well man i mean roberto i know like he was one of the most interesting athletes to ever play in vancouver in so many ways right at first you know he came in and people thought he was arrogant and you know he wasn't good with the media and all that kind of garbage and then Strombone one started popping up on Twitter and people were like, is it Roberto? Is it not Roberto? You know, and then that kind of showed his personality and his sense of humor to not only the media, but the fan base. And obviously, you know, there was talk about him not performing in big games. And then sometimes he is performing in big games. And I know some people thought that we should have started Corey Schneider in game seven of the Stanley cup final, but you know what? Roberto Luongo, I think is third all time in wins. And if you consider that he pay, played half of his career, if not longer in Florida, where they were absolutely abysmal, he literally racked up, I would say two thirds of his career wins playing in Vancouver, which is incredible. And yeah, man, I mean, there hasn't been too many goalies that have gotten into the Hockey Hall of Fame in the last decade or so. It's been very few and far between. Um, and so congratulations to Roberto as well, man. Uh, I was tripping on uh, Zetterberg for the Selkie, but it's understandable. Between 1994 and 2010, the, a Detroit Red Wing won the Selkie Trophy seven times, but none of them was, was Henrik Zetterberg. But there was four different Detroit players who did win the Selkie between 94 and 2010. So uh, Can I give it a uh, try? my bad. Can, oh, can yeah, I, sure. Go for it. So Datsuk yeah, yeah, for got, sure. Yep, Datsuk got three in a row from two, 2008 to 2010. Did Shanahan win one? Nope. No, not Brennan Shanahan. Okay. Um, Draper? Yeah, Draper got one in 04. Okay, so Draper. And, so in And funnily enough, in between uh, Draper and Datsuk was two for Rod Brindamore for Carolina. Okay, that that's that's interesting, yeah. And then you said there's two more, right? Two. There's two other players who combined for three. Fedorov won one, did yeah, he not? And, he won two in 94 and 96. Okay. And uh, I got it. I, I'm not sure who the other one. I know it wasn't Brett Hall. I know for it nope. definitely wasn't Brett Hall. The last one was some guy named Steve Eiserman. Oh, uh, Eiserman did it, win a selfie. Okay. I didn't know yeah, that. He did in 2000. I, I forgot about that as well. Yeah. So, uh, so, but no Zetterberg in there. Luongo, big games. I mean, he did win the gold uh, in in. In Vancouver here, in when Canada beat the U.S. Um, as, as well. I will say uh, this, and again, it. I don't agree with this, Pete, but I will say this. There are the naysayers who would say that he also gave up the tying goal with less than a minute left. Again, I, I, I saw people say that. I don't agree, but I did see people say that. I think regardless, a Hall of Fame career isn't made in one season or tournament or game. So uh, I think Luongo, certainly deserving. I was surprised he got on first ballot a bit, but not not the Sedins. So that's pretty awesome. Um, current team, though, the big news this week that we haven't even touched on yet is the Kuzmenk show is arriving in Vancouver. I am very excited about this uh it comes in on the one-year deal at i believe 975 which is uh what all he could sign really but it comes on in uh chooses the canucks which i think is great some would argue that depth wise he's already going to be one of our top six forwards and possibly our top left winger depending on what happens if you know if pd plays center and who knows what happens with miller but you could argue that kuzmenko could come in and be our number one center he's of course ufa after this year big numbers in the k may not be our timmy panarin but he also don't i don't think it'll be a fabian brunstrom um doug what do you think of this deal i mean fabian brunstrom did get a hat trick his first ever game in the nhl so that's all anyone talks about that's all anyone talks about with him (laughs) though yeah um no i mean i I was actually surprised how quickly after his visit to vancouver that it was literally the next day he was i know he can't legally sign the contract i think until the 13th or maybe it's the 15th of july but he was 
had a Canuck jersey on and it looked like he was signing something. I was, yeah, I was surprised how quick the turnaround was for him to sign. There's reports that I guess they met some of the Canucks brass met him in Minnesota. Bruce Boudreaux drove five hours to go and meet him for dinner in person. I believe Patrick Alvine also sat down with him. This is before he actually came to Vancouver for the meet and greet. I think they met him. I, 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 one of the reports I read was it was in Minnesota. Um, yeah, I'm really excited. Again, I don't know much about the player outside of like some of the highlights I've seen of his from this past year. Uh, from what I've heard, he, he can skate like the wind. Uh, he's more of a playmaker, which is great. So if you can put him with a couple of line mates, potentially like a Petey or a Brock Besser, who kind of have that shoot first mentality, I, th- I think it could be very, very effective in the NHL. Uh, he's very good down low. I do wonder on the smaller ice, the North American ice surface, if he'll have as much room to kind of like playmake below the red line there because he, he he is very good behind, behind the goal line setting up um, his teammates. But obviously the ice is a lot wider and a lot bigger in the KHL than it is in North American ice rinks. But yeah, this is a huge win for the Canucks. I mean, it's a free player who, by all accounts, has top six upside and they didn't have to give anything up and they're not overpaying for him either because the contract was going to be set right it's what nine hundred and seventy five thousand dollars for the one year is all he could sign with any team in the league yeah so i mean it's a win all the way around for the canucks it sounds like they really went all out to woo him and to bring him into vancouver and i am very excited to see how he fits into this roster moving forward and does that potentially shake loose a trade for a Connor Garland or a Brock Besser or a JT Miller. You know what I mean? Does that kind of give them a little bit more leverage to be able to trade one of those guys and fill a gap on our back end or, you know, add a couple of picks to our prospect pool? One thing that you, you certainly, you, you know, with the Canucks right now, they have forwards. They got guys who can score. That's not an issue right now. The, the issue is really the blue line. And I think this signing I think he's going to come in uh, uh, with. I think he comes in with the intents for the by the Canucks to extend him as well and just to sign him longer, assuming he works out. Uh, I don't think he'll necessarily be a flash one year in Vancouver and go, uh, which seems to be something that quite a few people uh, have been confirming as well. I do think that this means that uh, a piece is probably going out, and I think those three that you mentioned are the most likely. I think. The more you kind of hear rumblings and this and that, I think JT Miller is probably going to get traded. Um, Besser's a maybe, but again, if you're trading Besser, you've got to sign Besser, I think, before you trade him. And I I think his value is higher if you do that. We saw what Kevin Fiala got on the uh, after he was traded today. Uh, Huge deal for Kevin Fiala. Uh, I think that this. I mean, I love the thought of having. PD play between Kuzmenko and Pod Colson for a bit. I think that would be fantastic. So then, what are you doing after that? Let's say you have Bo, Besser, and Garland or something like that. And then you have JT and, uh, I don't know, like Hoglander and, uh, I don't know, someone else on the wing, right? Like uh, Tanner Pearson. Like, that's a, that's a pretty solid top nine. And you can run with that for this year. The problem is that you could really only run with it for this year. And this isn't the Canucks year to go for it. So uh, for me personally, I'm starting to think more and more that the Canucks need to trade some of those, some of those three, one or two, or maybe all three of those guys that you mentioned for help in the blue line, youth and draft picks. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously the way this roster was constructed last year, they're not good enough, right? And this is very much still Jim Benning's team, the way it's constructed. So you have to imagine Patrick Alvine and Jim Rutherford and the rest of the new management group want to put their own stamp on this team. And obviously, look, they traded Hamannick and brought in um, uh, Travis Dermott. They traded Tyler Mott, uh, which obviously made sense because he was a pending UFA. Uh, they've added Kuzmenko for nothing, which is great. But the core of this team is still exactly the same. They need, something needs to change, right? Like there needs to be some sort of shift for this team moving forward. They need to improve and tough decisions are going to have to be made. And look, I, I, I like JT Miller a lot. And I know you like JT Miller a lot, but 
I look at the situation and it's it to me it's like you've got to do something. You've got to trade value to get value back. You need to get younger. You need to get faster. You need to start replenishing the cupboards because right now the Canucks don't have a lot of depth in their prospect pool. And the draft is that time of year to try to do that, right? And, you know, I think a guy like Tanner Pearson's another guy, and I know he's not going to net the same kind of return of a JT Miller or a Connor Garland, but I, I definitely think Tanner Pearson's name's out there, and I think he's a guy that could be traded maybe for a second-round pick, maybe for an early third-round pick, but I think he's a guy that is probably not going to be on this roster next year. And then Connor Garland, again, he's a very interesting guy. He's He's controlled his he's contract controlled i think he's got four more years left on his deal and he's got a reasonable cap hit um which is great and those are the kind of players you want but again are the canucks in that position to best utilize a player like Connor garland right now or do they need to and again i'm not saying tear this team down to the studs but the comp that everyone keeps using and i understand it and i don't know if the canucks are quite in that same situation but the comp that everyone keeps using is Look at the Colorado Avalanche with uh, Matt Duchesne and how they waited and waited and Steve, or not Steve, uh, Joe Sackett was extremely patient in trying to trade Matt Duchesne and waited until he got full value for him. And, you know, that ended up netting them Kale McCarr, um, among other things. Um, Sam Gerrard as well. Sam Gerrard as well, exactly. So I really think that that's what Elvine and Rutherford are trying to do. I think they're trying to be patient here. I don't think there's a rush. And, you know, according, I don't know if you saw, there was a, Darren Dreger was on Sakaris and Price today, and he was saying he thinks there there's a handful of teams, if not more, that are very highly interested on JT Miller, and that he feels that a team's going to make an offer that the Canucks can't turn down. Um, whether that's at the draft or, you know, into the summer, but he thinks that JT Miller is probably played his last game as a Canuck. Well, that's the thing, right? Is like, first of all, you're getting him for the entire year at a $5.25 million cap hit. If you are a team that is close and has the cap space, that's a guy you can fit in. Who's a legitimate game changer into your top six. And there will be teams who think, Hey, we've got a shot this year. We we've we're gonna go in for it. Let's get him now. Have him all season, and then we'll tinker some more at the deadline. Five and a quarter. That's a pretty good cap hit for uh, for a guy who just put up ninety nine points. The Canucks could even retain salary on the deal because again, retaining salary is there's only one year left on his deal. The Canucks could retain what is it up to fifty percent of his salary. So then you can get yeah. Miller for like you know pennies on the on the dollar and really capitalize on his value to a team that's maybe still on the precipice of you know not quite being as good as a Colorado or a Tampa, but you know doesn't have the cap space to absorb his full five million. I mean you you a team could potentially overpay if the Canucks are willing to eat some of the salary and to eat some of his salary for one year. I mean I don't have a problem with it because this isn't the I don't year think that the they Canucks do that. But I don't think this is the year the Canucks are really cap-strapped. It's next year, right? Next year's the year because you've got both Miller and Horvat coming up. Uh, I believe Hoglander and Pod Colson, they're both needing new deals coming off of their entry-level deals. So I, I think next year's the year. So you could, for this one year, eat half of Miller's salary and really try to capitalize on full value for him for this one year for whatever team's trying to trade for him, in my opinion. Whether or not they do that, maybe they don't have to do that. But I, I, I definitely think that is a little ace in their pocket that they could use to try to squeeze a little bit more out of a team. Yeah, maybe. I just think when you got a guy with 99 points and that kind of cap hit and you got management who's saying we want cap space, I just don't think it's necessary. There's only six teams in the NHL right now that wouldn't be able to currently fit JT Miller onto their their payroll. And one of them is Montreal and one of them is Philly. And I don't think either one of them are, are teams that are really going to go for it. Um, we'll see. I think uh, I think that I do think that JT Miller is probably going to get traded. Still don't know about Besser. I mean, we're getting closer and closer to the the qualifying offer, and I think a, a deal is going to get done before that one way or another, but then does he stay with the Canucks? Because, again, he's got much more value with a contract than he does with this qualifying offer uh, to any team that is interested in him. Um, so, And then, yeah, Connor Garland, interesting player, five-on-five five stats. Again, fantastic. I quite like Connor Garland. Uh, I'm not in a rush to trade him. He's actually the longest 
signed forward on the Canucks right now as well uh, on the whole roster. Uh, he's he's signed for four more years, which is longer than anyone else. Um, we'll certainly see. It's gonna it's gonna be interesting. Another guy's name has come up. Uh, a bit lately is Mikey DiPietro, obviously a minor league goalie for the Canucks. Uh, hasn't played a lot over the last few years. It seems to have been, well, definitely has been passed on the death chart by Spencer Martin, probably by Arthur Seelofs as well. A fresh start, probably doing good. I'm totally fine with the Canucks swinging a move on him. Uh, what do you think about DiPietro getting traded? Yeah, I mean, Rick Dollywall reported today that it's probably looking more and more like this current management group's going to try to trade Mikey DiPietro. Uh, Dollywall reported that the Montreal Canadiens actually have some interest in DiPietro. So, you know, maybe there's a trade at the draft for a late-round pick. Maybe the Canucks can get a third or a fourth-round pick for him at the draft, which I would be fine with. I agree with you, Pete. I think Arthur Seelofs has surpassed DiPietro on the depth chart. And, you know, whether or not that was an issue with the the previous regime's poor handling of Mikey DiPietro during the COVID plague season where he didn't play any games all year and that probably really stunted his development. And then this year, obviously, he got assigned to the AHL uh, to play full-time and he struggled at times for sure. I know he had some injuries as well. Spencer Martin kind of took over the crease there. Um, so I, I actually think it'd be good for DiPietro to maybe get a fresh start somewhere else as well. And if the Canucks are able to kind of get an asset back or a draft pick back, I'm totally fine with it. Montreal has 14 draft picks again this year. They always just have a ton of draft picks. And then they got nine the year after that already. So uh, they, they could be a, a trading partner there. The Habs have three in the third and three in the fourth. Uh, that would be interesting to watch and see if the Canucks do anything there. Um, but Mikey DiPietro's name coming up. The Canucks have also brought in Quinn Schmeeman from the Kamloops Blazers. He uh, led the Blazers in goals, assists, and points. I don't know much about the guy, to be honest, but he's uh, he has been drafted before, also went unsigned, and seems to be another guy worth the risk. The Canucks have really been reloading Abbotsford and getting younger with Abbotsford. I know Wooters, Drees, Breezebot, and Stevens have all been re-signed. And then they brought in, you know, they, they got guys who are scheduled to play in, down there next year, like uh, Archdeep Baines, uh, another uh, guy who came out of the WHL, uh, is scheduled to, to play down there. Um, but uh, Quinn Schmeeman, uh, he had uh, some good stats out there. I uh, from, from my friends who've seen him play out in Kamloops, they said he looks like he could be something. But again, probably uh, another guy to stash in the, the minors. And again, another free piece to play with. Yeah, like you, Pete, I don't know much about the player um, I know outside of the fact that he played for the Blazers and he put up some pretty impressive point totals for them this year. Um, again, I mean, right now, this organization needs depth and youth, and he's falls into that category of he's the right age and he you know he's another depth piece whether or not he becomes a full-time NHLer you know that's hard to say probably not but Abbotsford needs to ice a, a solid team and right now I think you know this is we're going into the second year of the Abbotsford Canucks iteration and I think they've done a very good job icing a competitive fun team to watch I know we've got a couple of people who are friends of the show um, shout out to Jenna Fabulous. Uh, she's got season tickets and, you know, I, she said that it was a very enjoyable time watching the Abbotsford Canucks this year. Um, and she also came on this podcast and, you know, mentioned that Mikey DiPietro probably isn't, you know, gonna make it to the NHL and that, in her opinion, Arthur Silas was the better prospect. So shout out to Jenna for calling that months and months ago. Yeah, and then Spencer Martin, of course, as well. And we saw what, what he's done, and uh, the Canucks are looking solid in net for this upcoming season. That's something we never seem to talk about because we don't need to. It's like, all right, well, Demko and Martin, that's the only thing that we really know about this team. Uh, I feel pretty good about it. Going back to the Habs, um, they made a trade as well since our last episode with Shea Weber for Evgeny Dodonov. Dodonov finally traded after that whole <laughs> much uh, much maligned experience of getting traded somewhere that was on his no-trade list uh, for Ryan Kessler. Similar deal to this. Uh, that Shea Weber get, will get shuffled right on to Vegas's LTIR. Montreal will have one year of Dodonov at $5 million, so at least they're having someone who can do something. Um, 
I hate these trades, uh, personally. I just, uh, I'm not a fan of them at all. Uh, Shea Weber got four years left, $7.8 million. Uh, that's going to count towards LTIR. Uh, but I just, man, all this stuff, I think it's just, it, it, I know it's cap management or fan dangling or whatever, but I, I think it's a weird look for the game when you see uh, these sorts of trades happen. My honest opinion on this situation is it wouldn't bother me. It wouldn't bother me at all. It, you know what? I get it. Teams are trying to take advantage of the rules and find out, you know, how to navigate a hard cap and to, you know, use a situation like Shea Weber's situation to a team that's cap strapped like the Vegas Golden Knights and to be able to add that relief to their cap. I get that. What pisses me off about stuff like this is how, again, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but the Canucks got screwed over in the Luongo cap recapture penalty. And it's absolute bullshit. And I'm still surprised to this day that Aquilini didn't make and hasn't made a bigger fuss about it towards the league. Because at the time that contract was signed, it was an absolute legal contract. If it wasn't a legal contract, why did the league allow the Canucks to sign him to that deal? And yet the Canucks got bit in the ass because it was going against the spirit of the cap. They were circumventing the cap. And yet teams are doing the exact same thing now. But yet that's within the rules for whatever reason. That's the only reason why trades like this bug me. Because of how Canuck fans got screwed over with the Luongo cap recapture. If that had never happened, I would be all for it, man. I'd be like, hey, whatever. Let them do whatever they have to do to try to make a heart. Because again, the NHL is the only league in, I think, all of professional sports that has a hard, hard cap like the NHL. The NBA doesn't have it. Baseball definitely doesn't have it. Contracts don't even really exist in the NFL because you can just cut them. There's your guaranteed money, and then there's all that make-believe money that doesn't really count because you can be cut at any time and get zero for it. Yeah, it's it's a weird it's a weird one, man. I don't know. It's uh, maybe they'll figure out some way to do it. But yeah, the whole Luongo thing certainly bugs everyone here. That's finally coming off the books this year. I know we have some other dead money, but that's finally coming off the books. So. Uh, that's great to see. Um, hey, I wanted to touch back on, uh, you know, the NHL awards as well. We were just, uh, I, was, I was kind of just had this going in the back of my brain about, you know, you're talking about things that bug you. Uh, I, I, I mean, okay. Austin Matthews had a good year this year for sure, but it still feels weird to me that Connor McDavid is a second team all-star. Like he's the best player on the planet and he's a second team all-star because, uh, the, Toronto gets Austin Matthews enough votes for him to win the MVP and uh, gets uh, takes the the first center ballots for the All Star teams as well. It that bugs me. Yeah, I mean, look, Matthews ended up with what like sixty five or sixty seven goals this year, which I don't think had been done in well over a decade. So he had an incredible year. I I don't have an issue with him winning the heart. You know, I, I there was a lot of solid candidates this year I think that could have won the heart I think the problem with McDavid it's kind of like the LeBron James or the Michael Jordan aspect right everyone knows they're the best player of their generation and it almost works against them right it almost works against them that they're the best because it just you just expect that play out of them over and over and over again so you're never really shocked by it uh I think the fact that Matthews put up such gaudy goal totals this year that's probably what pushed him over the edge but I also think like the first team second team third team third team fourth team all-star teams like those are stupid like they do it in the NBA too I all I I know for the players they probably care about it because I'm sure they got bonuses laden in their contract that you know they hit certain things if they're a first team all-star or a second team all-star but I think it's stupid like if you want to do a first team all-star then just do the top five players like don't even go by position outside of goaltenders you know do your three forwards your two defensemen and a goalie you know what I mean that's how it should be then I because I agree with you like the fact that Connor McDavid is now bumped to the second team, you know, second team all-star team or whatever it's whatever it is, second team all NHL team because uh Matthews is the center and he technically gets that position over him. It's stupid. Yeah, there's a, also worth noting three Calgary Flames made the two all-star teams this year, two Leafs and one Oilers. So half of the two all-star teams play 
for Canadian markets. Jacob Markstrom, second team all-star as well. That's worth noting. Congrats to Markstrom. I also wanted to just quickly mention the Norris Trophy. So the first all-star team was Makar and Yossi. That was close voting uh, with those two. It was Makar got it by 25 points, but Yossi actually had more first place votes than Makar. So, uh, yeah, that was a really, really tight one. A couple of Canucks got some votes. Miller got a fifth place vote for the Hart. Quinn Hughes got a couple of fourth place votes and three fifth place votes for the Norris. And Demko got a third place vote for the Vesna. So a couple of Canucks uh, creeping into the awards as well. Well, the ballots at least. Yeah. And you know what? Like I always, it's interesting to see who votes for who. I believe Thomas Drance had um, Chris Tanev like fifth on his Norris Trophy voting because he thought Tanev had such a great year. And, you know, I agree. I think Tanev had an incredible year. I think Devon Tays probably would have been above. Like, he should have been higher up, too. And I know, obviously, he gets to play with Makar, but I think Makar also gets to play with him. And, you know, I, I think he's one of the most underrated players in the entire NHL right now. And I wouldn't say he's underrated because people are always singing his praise, but he's another guy who, you know, I thought, I think a lot of people kind of voted for as a Norris Trophy candidate. And yeah, I mean, it's always fun to kind of debate these things in the NHL for these awards. Uh, It's all arbitrary at the end, Uh, but there is some history and nostalgia when it comes to the rewards, the awards. So that Colorado blue line, man, with McCarr, Gerard, Taves, Byram, and then they rounded it out this year with Johnson and Johnson and Manson. Like, geez, that's uh, the defense wins championship. Yeah, Darcy Kemper back there and Pavel Frankuz, and uh, they got it done uh, with, with that blue line. So uh, pretty impressive. Hey, also in Vancouver, one last thing we didn't talk about. Dale Talon joins the front office. Uh, a bunch of other kind of moves here and there. But that was kind of an interesting one, is bringing in another guy with a lot of NHL experience, but also coming out of the much maligned Chicago organization, too. Yeah, I mean, I believe Talon had left the organization when all the Kyle Beach stuff happened. So I don't think he was actually in Chicago when that happened. But he was in Florida, and he apparently got dismissed from Florida for making racial comments I don't know to mm-hmm. whether it was staff or a player, but then the NHL investigated and they they cleared him of all wrongdoing. Um, Talon obviously is the first ever draft pick by the Vancouver Canucks in our little spin the wheel. Who gets first overall with Buffalo? They ended up with uh, Gilbert Perot, All Star, uh, Hall of Famer, and we got Dale Talon. Um, yeah, I don't know how I feel. Like to me, D- Dale Talon, sure he helped construct that Chicago team, and he, obviously he's helped construct that Florida Panthers team to a certain level. But he he just it just it feels weird to me because he definitely strikes me as a guy that the game is kind of past. He's kind of got that old you know hockey man mentality and how to build a team in my opinion and if you look at like some of the hirings that Rutherford has done since he's come into the presidential role for the team this one just kind of came out of left field it seems almost like more of a favor to Dale Talon because I think Rutherford and Talon do have personal ties and I'm sure you know there's a personal relationship there I'm not saying Dale Talon isn't a smart hockey man I mean obviously he's been in the game and probably knows more about the game than I do but it just it just seems weird the timing's weird it just seemed like an awkward fit and even the press release that the Canucks released it was like they tried to bury Talon's name you know what I mean it wasn't like Dale Talon's obviously the biggest name and yet they mentioned he he was the third or fourth person mentioned in the press release also I believe they Canucks also hired Mark Crawford's son as the video coach or video editor in there as well hmm I know Scott Young, who I remember, uh, former Whaler and Penguin, he's brought in as a director of player personnel. And Ryan Johnson, uh, who I was a huge fan of when he played with the Canucks and have been a huge fan of since he's been involved in the head office, he has also gotten promoted. Uh, so that's also great to see. A couple other teams, though, speaking of, of coaches, uh, the carousel continues. Uh, we've seen where Paul Maurice has landed, which is kind of surprising. John Tortorella is back. And Barry Trotz won't be back. Yeah, so the there was rumblings that Tortorella was going to go to Philly um, before our last episode. And then literally, as we had finished hitting record, the official announcement came out that Tortorella is going to Philly. 
I mean, that's a perfect marriage in so many ways, Tortorella and Philly. It's just like that market, that history of the team. It's going to be great. It is. It's going to be amazing. I agree. So, you know what? I, I, th- I think that's a pretty good match. I don't know. Tortorella, to me, is just not the type of coach that is a coach that can rebuild, like help re- a rebuilding team. And I think right now... Philly's kind of at a crossroads. They definitely seem to be a team that's got some issues and they're way over the cap. They're clearly not a good enough team and they need to figure out what to do. So that's going to be an interesting dynamic. I know there's the namesake of Tortorella there, but I still, I I just don't know. Philly just doesn't seem like they're that team ready to take the next step and they kind of need to look themselves in the mirror and maybe, you know, make a couple of big moves and unload some salary. Um, yeah, Paul Maurice, I don't know. I've never been a big Paul Maurice fan. I don't know. Like I was never a fan of him in his first tenure with the Jets. Uh, I, I believe he did win the Stanley cup with Carolina way back in the day. I know he coached the Leafs for a while. He quit on Winnipeg last year, walked away. And then now he goes to Florida, which that's a weird one to me. Uh, it just, it's, it, it's kind of a weird fit. I thought Tom Fitzgerald, I believe Fitzgerald was the coach in Florida this year, the interim coach who, uh, after um, the guy from Chicago got fired, I forget his name now. Um, uh, Joel Quinville got fired. I, was it Fitzgerald that took over as the interim coach in Florida? Mm, don't don't remember. That sounds right though. Or maybe that's the GM somewhere else. Anyways, doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, Paul Maurice going to Florida. That's a weird one to me. I I, I don't know. It just kind of came out of left field. I didn't expect him to go down there. And then yeah, Trotz pretty much told Winnipeg he's taking a year off, and obviously he's told Boston as well. I think Boston was you know, looking at Barry Trotz and potentially we're hoping to get him there. But uh, Detroit's another team that still has a a coaching vacancy. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, if a guy like, I mean, I look at Rick Tockett, he's, he's kind of a big name coach that's still out there. Um, And then obviously uh, you're going to have to help me out here, Pete, I'm drawing a blank, but the guy that uh, coached Toronto and uh, the Ducks and the Red Wings, Oh, um, yeah, what's his face? Yeah. <laughs> I just threw a blank as well. I can see his face. Now. Yeah, so can I. I've, I. I've just totally uh, gum-chewing, hat-wearing buffoon, and I can't yeah. remember his name now. <laughs> but I, 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 I almost I almost wonder if he gets Babcock. back to the league. Babcock. Babcock. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I almost wonder if he gets back in the league this year just because there are so many coaching vacancy spots available, and I could see a team like Boston wanting a big-name coach like him. I could also see, I would not be surprised at all if Barry Trotz uh, emerges midway through the season, uh, saying he takes some time off, and then after Christmas there's some hot firings, and he gets a knock on his door, and, and the fit's right. I would not be surprised if Barry Trotz comes comes back uh, this year. A um, couple of things from the junior world as well. Congrats to the St. John Sea Dogs. They won the Memorial Cup on home ice tonight. I didn't get to catch a lot of that tournament, but I always enjoy the Memorial Cup. And also, Hockey Canada, funds getting frozen by the Canadian government. That seems like a pretty smart idea by the Canadian government right now until they figure out what is going on there. Some of the uh, some of the things I watched, with some of the answers given, it was just like they weren't answers. It was not a, it was not a good look for Hockey Canada. No, and, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Obviously, the federal government has pulled their funding for Hockey Canada, but I've also heard some pretty big sponsors, corporate sponsors like Scotia Bank. You know, they're looking to kind of pull out of their deal with Hockey Canada given the circumstances of what's going on. And, you know, I, I, I still hope that, you know, there's a proper investigation by the league and suspensions and the names of these players that were involved in this sexual assault are released to the public and that they actually get suspended. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. Doug, let's uh, take this into the free pour. All right, it's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor segment. And I wanted to talk about, again, it's a documentary I watched. It's a four-part kind of mini-series documentary. I do highly recommend it, even though the... The topic isn't a great topic, but it's just, it's a very well done documentary. And it's a documentary called We Need to Talk About Cosby. And it's about Bill Cosby. And it kind of starts off with Cosby in his early career um, being, you know, one of the first black comedians to get a lot of like main showtime and like 
he was getting like headline gigs and all that stuff and then he ended up on this TV show uh, and he was actually one of the first black actors to actually push for black stuntmen because back then stuntmen were all white and they would literally just paint them black and Bill Cosby was the guy that actually got black stuntmen into Hollywood which is amazing but obviously as the Bill Cosby story starts to go on you start to hear about all these sexual assault allegations and how he would drug women throughout his entire career from early on in the 60s and the 70s all the way up until the late 80s early 90s when he was on the Cosby show which was the biggest show on network television and again it was another a show I remember watching and growing up and you know it was it was a big part of my childhood and then obviously you know later on in his career all these allegations came out and yeah it's it's a very good documentary obviously the subject matter is a little bit uncomfortable um but i definitely think it's worth people to watch it's called we need to talk about cosby and it's a four-part miniseries i just want to quickly talk about a show i went to because i I always like talking about that but i went to uh see the whalers at the commodore uh, last week and i figured you know i was kind of hooming and hawing and i was like you know i'm never gonna get to see bob marley in the whalers so I'll take the Whalers, and uh, I'm sure they'll probably do a lot of Bob Marley stuff. Well, they sure did. They just played to the crowd. You wanted to hear Bob Marley songs, you got Bob Marley songs. But it, it, the sound was great. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Commodore's always a good time. Uh, the Whalers have just been kind of cruising around this area. I know they were in Victoria at Scottfest, and shout out to everyone back in Victoria and my old neighborhood as well. It's been a tough week uh, over there, a tough couple days at least. Um, but yeah, the Whalers, if you get a chance, you like Bob Marley, I recommend. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 116 is just about in the books. And again, just a reminder, if you're interested in coming to our draft party July 7th at the American, please shoot us a DM. Yeah, like you said, Pete, early in the episode, I think we've got 12 people committed so far. And the more the merrier. Um, You know, obviously the draft's going to be very fun, very exciting from a Canucks perspective, I think. And obviously it'd be nice to have a beer and maybe, you know, have a couple uh, chicken fingers with people as well. I mean, the American has the download chicken, which is amazing. Um, So, yeah, if you've got time on Thursday, come by, say hi and have a beer and let's talk Canucks. Uh, also, I mean, we just talked about the Avalanche winning, the Sea Dogs winning. Uh, I don't think we talked uh, the Warriors won as well since we last recorded. No, we didn't. So yeah, the Golden State Warriors won the NBA title. Steph Curry wins his first playoff MVP. So congratulations to Steph Curry uh, and the Warriors. And you know, if you look at Clay Thompson, pretty much you know, not playing for the last two years due to his Achilles injury. Uh, there was one year where the Warriors had the worst record in the NBA and they ended up with the first overall pick and to see them finally get their full team back. And then obviously Andrew Wiggins, Andrew Wiggins is now an NBA champion, which is awesome. And he was an integral part to their championship run this year. So congratulations to the Golden State Warriors, Steph Curry, Andrew Wiggins, and Steve Kerr as well, everybody on that team. And yeah, I was happy to see it. Yeah, Wiggins for me was uh, the big story. Get the the CanCon in there. He was fantastic, and that was really the reason I watched uh, that finals was to to see see how play he played four titles in the last eight years for Golden State. They're definitely going to be the poster child for this past decade uh, of NBA. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore gas. And do check out our playlist on Spotify on our Canuck Speakeasy account. That's the Canuck Speakeasy outro playlist. Give it a listen. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Canuck Speak. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego. Hasta luego.